Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzato. Join us as we're cracking the code of spy movies. Check us out on our website, spymovienavigator.com. And please subscribe to our show through your favorite podcast app. Happy holidays to all our listeners all around the world. We appreciate you listening and happy new year. Today, we're going to take a quick fire look at the movie Spies in Disguise, which was released in the U.S. on Christmas Day, 2019. This one's a bit different than our normal movie discussion is Spies in Disguise. It's an animated movie really geared for kids. And Dan, as you know, we normally been talking about non-kid based movies. Yeah. Now, this movie was actually based on this short animation film called Pigeon Impossible, which should kind of give you a hint is where they were thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's all, it's all, that's only a six-minute video. You can find it on YouTube. All right. Now, we're not going to do one of our in-depth shows on this movie, but this movie is a great intro to spy movies for kids. And adults have something to see here as well, right, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is definitely a movie that there's stuff in there for the adults as well as the now, kids. Now, Tom saw the movie. I watched all the trailers and read some articles on the movie, but Tom actually saw the movie. So he's going to go through most of this stuff here. And I just want to say, during the holiday season here, I'm just finishing off a pack of uh, red velvet pizzelle uh, Italian cookies, Tom. And, you actually uh, went there. Yeah, you want one? Here, I got I got the package here. Right. Have some. Yeah, it's all right. I'm okay. Yeah, okay. They're delicious. They're, they're Italian waffle cookies, by the way. And a cup of coffee is like, oh, that's, that's great. But I digress just a bit. It's a good way to go ahead and record a podcast All right, so, and eat something. So Tom's going to tell you. Right. Yeah, now, now let's, I'm going to actually start off by saying I saw the 2D version of this movie. There is a 3D version of this. And from what I've heard online, you know, looking at reviews and, and listening to podcasts on it, the 3D is actually really good. Unfortunately, the timing we had on Christmas Day, which is when I went, the only one available at the time we could go was the 2D showing. So, you know, I can't I can't really comment on the 3D, but I have read good things about how how they did that. Yeah, now Tom, you went with a a family member to see Spies in the Skies. So, why I mean, we talked about it a little bit before, but why'd you go see it and it's really is a kids movie, right? Yeah, it's a cartoon. Yeah. Right now, but why did I go to it? I believe our our website is called SpyMovieNavigator.com. <laughs> yeah. It's a spy movie, and this is a spy movie. All right, and I think it, it, I really we shouldn't really distinguish between whether it's an adult movie or a kid movie. And so I wanted to see what it was, and quite honestly, I was pretty curious after looking at the trailers how this thing was going to work out. Yeah, and right. you like you said, there's there's stuff in here for adults too, right? There's oh yeah, there's there's definitely stuff that'll keep the adults happy that they went. Okay, so yeah. If you look at what we do on our podcast, we're looking at how spy movies have influenced other spy movies right. or how real-world events have influenced spy movies. And there's definitely some homage paid in this movie to other spy movies and the whole genre in general. So it's, it's actually kind of interesting to see, okay, even though this is a cartoon based for kids, how they bring some of that stuff together. So we, we decided that a quick fire sounded like a good idea to do for this one. Yeah, okay. Although this is geared to kids, this is an animation movie. And Dan, as you know, I'm a big fan of animated movies. Yeah. Now, again, adults do have something to see here. And we went on Christmas Day, and I don't know if in other countries, if the, even movie theaters are even open there, but in the U.S., actually, Christmas is a fairly big day for the movie theaters. It was fairly full for the showing when it went at a three o'clock in the afternoon showing. And it was interesting to me because at one moment I thought there was a kid's laugh track 
because the laughter was so loud. And I'm looking around and the kids just love this thing. Okay. And actually, after after the movie was over, I you know, went up to the bunch of parents because you don't want to approach the kids and asked, right. you know, what did you guys what did your kids think of the movie? And with one exception, they were all like, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. The one small exception was there was a really small child there who told me that it was bad because there was a bad guy in it, oh. but it, that it got better when they caught the bad guy. <laughs> so, That's cute. That's, yeah, you should so, have I mean, had them recorded. That, that would have been nice. But that also, you know, if you're a parent trying to figure out if you're going to take your kid to this, in the U.S., this is rated parental guidance or PG. There's a bad guy. There's some a few explosions in it. So, you know, as you're trying to figure out whether you bring your kid or not, just realize that this isn't a G-rated movie. It's a PG-rated movie because there is some of this some of this stuff in there. Not a lot, but again, this this one little kid was a little little taken back by it. Yeah. So there there are references though, like you. I think you're you're hinting that there's references to other spy movies in this movie. And, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, and I was totally looking forward to how they were going to do that. How are they were going to tie tie that stuff in? Yeah. There's a pre-title sequence that just like a lot of other spy movies do. Yeah. And this thing really feels like Bond set up in terms of the way the pre-titles work. It does have a, it looks like it's opening with like this fuse kind of a thing and then they pull back and it's a laser. Oh, kind of like a Mission um, Impossible thing. Yeah, so it felt kind of like, oh, they're starting like with this Mission Impossible thing. Uh -huh. They pull back and it's a laser. Now we do actually have, if you go out to our YouTube channel, we do have a video, the top 12 uses of lasers in spy movies. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, it's a fun video. Shows you other other places that lasers were used in spy movies. Now, there's also a knockoff of the of the Bond, James Bond line oh, from wow. the Bond series, right? Okay. And that got a bigger response from the parents as most of the kids wouldn't know. Okay, Bond, so, so, so the adults in the audience are going, oh, okay, I know that. So what is the line? Can you say what the line is? Or? I'm not, I'm not going to give it away. Oh, come on. I... <laughs> no, Walter <laughs> says it in the movie, and Walter is, and I'll, I'll explain who, yeah, who yeah, all the characters are, but he's this nerd, younger person who's the, the gadget geek guy. So, so he's kind and of he, the Q guy. Yeah, he's kind of like the Q guy, and he's the he's the nerd science guy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give away the line because if you when you go to it, if you understand science, you you'll you'll catch it. Yeah. If you don't, you might want to look it up. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all you're um, gonna say. All right, that's all that's all I'm gonna say because it was it was actually I thought it was fairly clever the way they did it for the Walter character. Okay. All right. right. As I mentioned before, there are some explosions. Um, nothing major, but there are some in there. There are underwater sequences that kind of, you know, we've seen in different spy movies. Thunderball. Um, yeah. yeah, in Thunderball and, and, and others, right? Yeah. However, we had just done a quick fire last month on Charlie's Angels where the whole movie seemed to be a regurgitation of right. other spy movies. Yeah. This one wasn't like that. Oh. I was definite homage paid to Bond, Hunt, and Bourne. But a lot of this movie really felt really felt fresh. All right, Tom. I, now I know I know the directors that that of this film watched all of the Bond films, all the Mission Impossible and all the Bourne movies to prep themselves for this film. So I, I read that in an article on SciFi.com, S-Y-F-Y.com, and it was a great little article, by the way. Go read that if you like to go find it. Anybody? Can you give us like an example of what? Some of the homages paid were here, or 
What's the yeah, name? we'll we'll go through okay. a bunch of those as we go through this podcast. And I'll say in that article, they actually expressly mentioned the pre-title sequence and how they mm-hmm. designed that to really have a Bondian feel. Okay. And I and like it that. really does in in set in the way they set it up and go right into the right then into the titles and the music and they they really nail that pretty well in my opinion. All right, that's cool. Now the basic premise of this movie, again, it's a kids movie, uh-huh. is that the super spy drinks a potion and turns into a pigeon. <laughs> turns into a pigeon. Right, yeah, I, yes. I've seen that One in the those darn birds, right? In the trailers, are we have a trailer actually on our homepage uh, on our website if you want to take a look at it now. Wow, so he turns into a pigeon. Is he that, turns into a pigeon. Now, is that the disguise? You, is that that? Well, it's not really a disguise. Yeah, I know because it turns he, into one. He's actually but a pigeon. From a disguise perspective, <laughs> what a beautiful way for a spy to go anywhere he or she wants to go. You become a pigeon. You're not going to be. I mean, there's a scene in the uh, Piazza San Marco in Venice mm-hmm. where there's just a ton of pigeons. You you want to you want to be unobserved. It's a great way to do it. And actually, the Walter character says pigeons are everywhere and nobody notices them. They're the most perfect form a spy can take. <laughs> I mean, well, at least it's swimming with a bird with a scuba mask. Uh, ah. Oh, you mean the like. Uh... The one Bond where is coming out of the water in the, in the beginning of Goldfinger. That's what you're yeah, talking about. Okay. Exactly. All right, I was a little confused there. I was like, what? Yeah, so right. <laughs> you right, got right, it. All right. <laughs> all right. Now, the basic premise of this movie is there's this superstar spy named Lance, and he's voiced by uh, Will Smith. And it's interesting, when they drew him, they wanted to draw him kind of like martini glass shaped. So uh-huh. he's got very big shoulders right, and right. very, very narrow as he comes down. Yeah, I noticed that um, in the trailers, yeah. Huh. yeah. Now, he meets this young gadget guy named Walter. Now, let's think about this. We have Lance and we have Walter. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds to me like Walter Lanz. So yeah. I think this was a shout-out to the great cartoonist, Walter Lanz, who directed the Oswald the Lucky Rabbit series and gave us Woody Woodpecker. Oh, cool. So I, I think that was one of those little, what I, what I saw oh, that sure. and I heard these names, I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Ah, that's Walter Lance. These guys are clever with stuff like that. So that's they, good. They, ah. they absolutely are. Now, Lance, the super spy, accidentally drinks a potion that Walter was working on, and it turns Lance into a pigeon. But Walter doesn't have the antidote for this. Oh. So um, he's a pigeon for a lot of the movie. And he's on the trail of a bad guy named Killian. And Lance is used to doing everything on his own. He's a super spy. If you think about Bond, Bond doesn't really use a lot of support from a lot of people. There's a little bit there, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about Bourne, same type of thing. Yeah, he's pretty much um, a loner. Yeah. And Ethan Hunt has the team, so he's not quite as out on his own. But again, remember, he turn, Lance turns into a pigeon, and at one point he says, I fly solo. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, That's a good line. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty good. But he, he eventually has to get, realizes, since he's now in a pigeon form, he needs some help, and Walter's the guy who's going to do this. Nice. Now, one of the things where they took an idea that was used in other, in other spy movies that they bring forward in here is the concept of the double pursuit. And we've talked about this in the past in the in our uh, 39 Steps, the 39 Steps podcast. Yeah, yeah, check out we, our podcast on 39. We talk a lot about the double pursuit idea here, and it really is a cool idea, and a lot of spy movies do use this. 
concept. Yeah. So in this movie, the super spy Lance, his agency thinks he's gone bad because they can't find him because he's a pigeon. Oh, uh, an, ag- they, an agent gone rogue? Yeah, they think he's an agent gone rogue. So they're trying to catch him. And then you still and you have the pursuit with the with Killian, the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? So you've got the That's double the pursuit double, yeah. where the bad guy wants him and the and the agency wants Lance as well. So it's kind of interesting from that perspective. There are also high-end car chases, submarines, nice. uh, some <laughs> muted explosions, and a lot of the fun stuff we're used to seeing in spy movies. Toward the end, Walter figures out the antidote, and Lance is brought back to his human form. However, Lance needs to go back to pigeon form to save Walter, who had been grabbed by Killian. So we actually see Lance's conflict of, should I use this potion again or not uh, to to go on? Should I become a pigeon again or not? That's a nice little built-in conflict there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. Now, especially for the kids, Walter's character is really good. He's this gadget guy, and I really imagine him as a young version of Ben Wishaw's version of Q okay. in James Bond. Not really a Desmond version, but if you yeah, yeah. take if you, uh, ta- if you take uh, Ben's version of yeah, him. Yeah, I could see that in the trailers, and I was actually thinking that in the trailers. I was this is kind of like the the new Q, Ben Winshaw's Q. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so and now there is a gadget lab in the movie, which I love, right? <laughs> so okay. they're walking through there. It's very close in concept to the old Q labs in the pre-Daniel Craig Bond movies where Mm -hmm. they walk through and there's all this stuff happening in the background. And so Lance walks through it. We get to see all of that stuff as well. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool to see that brought forward. Yeah. I read this other article and I, and I think maybe from these articles, at least it's, there's, there's always a a hidden message in this movie of, of promoting the kids and making them do good things and whatever else. And so in this one, article I just read about this said the gadgets were actually rooted in in science so and they're again trying to show or encourage kids that they can go pursue a a science career and and so on so you think in in the whole movie time there are these messages that are going through this that are these positive messages for kids because that's oh absolutely there's a lot there's a lot of it's it's great it's great to be weird is one of the the things i talk about because walter's this (laughs) geeky science guy right and so there's there's parts of that that are are put through here even if you take the takeoff they take on bond james bond there's a science bent to that okay so this is walter's a science guy who wants to take and create these gadgets to help the world. But unlike in the adult-oriented spy movies, the gadgets are much cuter, and in fact, none of them can hurt people. Oh, okay. So they're, they're gadgets designed what to they do? incapacitate or freeze uh-huh. or deflate a human body. That sounds for, bad. <laughs> yeah, force someone to tell the truth or stun them. I mean, there's this one device called Kitty Glitter, and they use it in the movie a lot. And it's used to distract people from whatever they were doing. It pretty much stops them in their tracks, and they get a smile on their face. All right, okay. you can think of good glitter in the air with cat images. All right, okay. I mean it sounds odd, but this is an animated movie for kids, and it actually works in this movie. There's even a trick pen type of a gadget uh, that's used to do some of this stuff as well. But again, it's all harmless stuff. Yeah, showing how we can use science to do good. 
and use it also to help fight crimes. All right. So that was another article I read in the LA Times that said one of the things that directors wanted to highlight is that violence is not the answer. It's kind of fighting the idea, well, fighting, another kind of fighting the idea that maybe Lance had to fight fire with fire kind of thing, you know, that they were saying, nah, violence doesn't always make sense. And, and so this obviously makes perfect sense with Walter's gadgets not hurting anyone. So yeah, I guess. And that's Wal- that, yeah, and that's Walter's gadgets, right? So yeah, Killian yeah. has some stuff that does blow things up. Ah, okay, all right. right? So there's mm-hmm. even a gadget that I just really cracked me up. It's it's called the inflatable hug. <laughs> and um, this thing, when I saw that thing, instantly. That's it, a great it, name. <laughs> it is. Again, it's I got to give credit cute. to whoever comes up with that stuff. Yeah, it's cute. It doesn't hurt you. It's very similar to a gadget that was used in the James Bond movie, The World Is Not Enough. Oh, yeah. And I don't remember what they called it in that movie, if they even gave it a name, but it was the inflatable jacket thing that saves Bond and Electra when they're in that avalanche, like puts that bubble around them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) So it's used differently in this movie, but it looks similar, and its goal is to protect whatever's in it, just like in uh, the the world is not enough and man, when i saw that i was just like wow instantly it took me back to that film so it was really cool to see that yeah so they're they're probably obviously conscious of that whole scene in in the world is not enough and they're kind of rolling it in <laughs> Pun intended. yeah it, they're yeah. exactly rolling it in and they roll it in a couple times uh, uh without overdoing it but it's actually I, I actually thought it was really cool there's also the line i need a code name and that plays directly into the codename theories with James Bond uh, and more directly into the Bourne movies with Jason Bourne being the codename for David Webb. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, I, I read another article at head, headtopics.com, and it was it said the directors, was it Quayne and Bruno, right? Quayne and Bruno. Yes, they, yes. They wanted to dig into a, a bit, a little bit, into the idea that, that sometimes the only thing separating heroes and villains is perspective. And so this whole good versus evil kind of good and bad stuff, they wanted to kind of dig into a little bit in this movie. And when I read that, I thought, well, that that's, again, you look at Quantum of Solace with Bond when, when Mathis and Bond get together in, in, the, in his home in, in Italy and he's trying to get Mathis to help him and... Mathis tells Bond, he says, when one's young, it seems very easy to distinguish between right and wrong. But as one gets older, it all becomes more difficult. The villains and heroes get all mixed up. So it's the same kind of, it sounded like they were doing, again, certainly know about Quantum of Solace and wanted to kind of touch on that in this movie about this good versus bad kind of thing and dig into that a little bit. So you see that kind of thread going through there too, Tom? Oh, absolutely. Especially with the double pursuit. Yeah, because to the agency, Lance is a bad guy. Yeah, right. They've got to capture him, even though he's out trying to be the good guy. So that that it does get, you know, what is your perspective? Which way, which way you see this? One of the things we see in this movie that we see fairly often in other spy movies is the spy seeing the bad guy coming at him through a reflection. Somebody's coming at the spy from behind. Okay, and the spy, the 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 good spy sees the bad person coming in the reflection of something. So if you think back to the pre-title sequence of Goldfinger and Bond is looking into, in the pre-title, he's looking into her eyes and he sees oh, the yeah. guy 
coming ready to hit him from behind. Yeah. This t- this technique's used a few times in Spies in Disguise as well. Like some of the spy movies, there are quite a few quips in this thing. And we also hear the line, I'm taking everything from you, which is similar to things we've heard in some spy movies like in Mission Impossible 3. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character okay. uses a similar line like that. Spectre, or even in the trailer to No Time to Die, mm-hmm. you get that theme come through, and that comes in this movie as well. So, Tom, I watched all the trailers, and I wanted to ask you about the music because in the trailers it sounded it sounded pretty cool. Yeah, they they did a I think they did a really good job with the music in this. Okay, it sets the mood of the scenes very well. It's generally uplifting. Most of it's unique, but very modern. But I did feel a hint of Lalo Schifrin's theme from Mission Impossible a couple times, oh. which was which was kind of fun. It wasn't quite it, but it was kind of it, it kind of had that feel to it, which which I which I really enjoyed. Okay. Now I mentioned that there's a villain in this, and this guy's a menacing guy. He's got a robotic hand. Think Doctor No, but much more functional. <laughs> he has an eye that glows red. And it's just pretty nasty. Uh Plus, just like in a lot of spy movies, the villain doesn't do the the dirty work. You mean the big big villain, yeah. The big villain. Yeah. He or she has people do the dirty work for him or her. And in this case, Killian has an army of drones which blow things up. They attack people and do other things like that. Uh And it's real to me. It's a really good thing. You know, if we look at how real world impacts and how other movies impact these spy movies, there's a pro- proliferation of drones that's happening right now in the world. Sure, kids have seen that. A lot, a lot of kids have probably played with with drones. Mm-hmm. So bringing this into the movie brings a wor- real world aspect to it. Yeah, and we uh, the military has uh, drones that actually do go blow things up. So. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's oh. it's not just pizza delivery. Yeah. yeah, Tom, Spider-Man, I think earlier in this year, earlier in 2019, we had the movie uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. And in that movie, Spider-Man has to fight off an army of drones. So kind of it's kind of a touch of irony. The actor here, isn't it the guy Tom Holland was the Spider-Man guy, right? Yeah, so Tom Holland played Peter Parker yeah. in Spider-Man: Far From Home. Yeah, he's also the voice of Walter yeah. in Spies in Disguise. Oh, that's that's a cool connection there. And yeah, and, and and he had to lead. He had to fight an army of drones in both movies. Yeah. So yeah. kind of a nice little nice little tie in here. Yeah. Now, one opportunity I totally think they missed here, and again, it's I'm a, I'm an animation film fan, so to me it's like I, I look for things like this, but. They didn't have a song in here, and we talked about the music a second ago. They didn't have a song in here like the Friend Like Me song in Aladdin. Oh, I love that song in Aladdin. Yeah. And to me, like that movie or Under the Sea in uh, Little Mermaid, Uh if they had a song something like that, they could have flashed all these animated characterizations that kind of were paying homage to all different spy movies. In all different movies. I mean, you think about what you can do with animation there and tying, you know, you might have an image that's on the screen for a second or a second and a half, and then you're on to the next one. I really think they missed an opportunity by not doing that. Yeah, that would have been um, fun. Because if you talk to a kid about those mm. two movies uh, of uh, The Little Mermaid and or of Aladdin, yeah. those are two of the songs they'll talk. 
All right, so that was a missed opportunity, in my opinion. But there was one thing that they did in the end credits that kind of irked me a little bit. First, a little bit of background about me. I'm an animation film fan, and I collect animation cell art. These are the pictures that make up one frame of an animated movie. So especially in the old school days, they would literally paint a picture onto a piece of acetate and take its picture. And that would become a frame yeah. in, in the movie. Now, in my opinion, the animation artist is equal, if not more important, than the voice talent in the creation of a movie when it's an animation film. Sure. So if you think of, yeah. if you think about the animated movies by Disney before Robin Williams was the genie in Aladdin, can you name two other voices in a, da- a Disney movie prior to Robin? Mm-hmm. Most people can't. No, I, I, mean, I if can't. You're, if you're, unless you're a geek like me and I know oh, most of them. But you know the characters yes, by sight. <laughs> you you know you know the visual of the character that the animator created by sight. In many James Bond movies. The actor who physically performed the role may not be the actor whose voice you hear. Mm-hmm. So do you know who dubbed the voice for Honey Rider in yeah. Dr. No? Or Draco in On Her Majesty's Secret Service? Or did you know that Michael Collins dubbed the English version of the voice of Ulrich Goldfinger in Goldfinger? Yes, the voice talent is important and needs to be credited. But so do the animation artists or directors or the animation directors for the various characters in an animated movie. Unfortunately, Eon Productions hasn't done that with the Bond character voices. They're all uncredited. Spies in Disguise doesn't credit the artist with their character. What I really like to see is in some of the Disney films, they actually credit, and you'll see it in a box where it's like, here's the character, and then here's the voice, here's the animation team behind it, to really give the crediting and the fact that both pieces are pretty much equally important. And I think that's a good practice. I wish they had done it here. Okay. Now... This whole diet, this whole dialogue about the voice talent here and crediting is all about the credit. I'm not saying the voice casting wasn't good. It was actually very good. It sounded um, good, yeah. Yeah, it, it really was. And, you know, like Will Smith, I, I go hot and cold with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. He, he voiced this really well. Yeah, I thought um, all, the, all the trailers I saw was Yeah, terrific. and t- Tom Holland voices Walter really well. Ra- Rachel Brosnahan, uh, Rashida Jones... Uh, Reba McIntyre, Karen Gillian, there and others voiced the large roles, and they did a really good job. I just wish that the crediting for the animator was there. So I'm, I'm going to get off right. my soapbox. Yeah, I was going to say, go ahead and start, take start a step down. Wrap this up. Sorry, I just uh, that's one of those things that just annoys me. I think Spies in Disguise does what it tries to do quite well. It's a spy movie that'll get many kids hooked on spy movies. You should be happy to take a kid to see it keeping in mind that it in the U.S. is rated PG, not G. So there is a bit of violence, so nothing rough. That's parental And a few guidance. explosions and a, and a bad guy. Mm, there yeah, are a couple yeah, yeah. of adult-themed innuendos that are in here. There's one, if you'll see the trailer for it, right when he takes the, the, the potion that starts to turn him into a pigeon, his hands shrink, and then he looks down his pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quick. But it's one of those things that, you know, the little kids won't catch it, but the little bit older kids will snicker at it. And again, there is a villain here. Uh, the movie does pay homage to the real world and other spy movies without feeling like it was trying to rip anything off, okay. unlike Charlie's Angels. right? And it really was fun to watch. Just don't expect to see the same level of film you're going to see if you're going to a Mission Impossible or a James Bond film. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, if you aren't going to go with a child, you might not want to run out to see it. I'm, I'm not sure. It was it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. But like, you know, Dan, you didn't run out and see it because no. you didn't have it, right? But if you have kids or nephews or nieces, you can go ahead and take them and have a guilty pleasure. So let's go ahead and end this thing. I need to get some kitty glitter. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good. This has been Dan Silvestri and Tom Pizzato. We appreciate you listening as together we're cracking the code of spy movies. Check us out at our website, spymovienavigator.com. Please subscribe to our show through your favorite podcast app. Participate in our podcast by sending us a voice message through our website or a message through Facebook about any of our podcasts, questions you'd like answered, comments, or podcasts you'd like us to do. 